Father God, as we open your word, as we return to uh, the gospel of Luke, um, Father, we ask that you would um, use your word to conform our hearts to the image of Jesus Christ. God, that as we as we read, um, as we listen, um, as we think on this passage, um, God, that whatever it is that you would have us um, to know, whatever it is that you would have it to accomplish in each of our lives, God, that you would work to do that. God, we want to be confirmed in the truth of your word. Um, Father, if there are aspects of this passage that we are unfamiliar with, we ask that you would implant them. If there are things that we um, are already um, aware of, um, God, we ask that you would... um, God, cement um, those things in our lives, God. And if they are things that are already uh, things that are cemented, then God, just that we would be encouraged in your truth um, and that you would use these these things to to help us to go forth um, and and share uh, the truth of your word um, with those around us. Father, as always, we continue to pray um, for uh, for the gospel ministry of of the Christ centered churches in in our community. Um, God, each Sunday, as as um, Sunday school classes happen, as as preachers um, uh, teach your word, God, we ask that your spirit would move in our community. Um, we know that in and of ourselves, we are insufficient to receive your word the way, not only the way it deserves, but God, the way that we need um, in our own lives. And so we pray for a a blessing from you. We pray for your graciousness. We pray for your mercy when it comes to the hearing of your word, Um, that each Sunday, uh, each Lord's Day, uh, all across our community, you would continue to awaken hearts, um, that you would convert um, uh, those who are are dead in their sins and trespasses to newness of life, um, God, and that you would call people into your service um, through through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Um, all things, God, that we are incapable of on our own. We trust in you. We count on you. Uh, we call out to you um, to accomplish in our community. Uh, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, there was a thing that happened a few years ago in in the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Circles, um, and it was it was an issue that kind of got a lot of press and 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 there was some uh, a significant amount of controversy around. There was a city and I can't remember where the city was, but it was somewhere sort of Midwest or something. And they were building a mosque in this city or there was a group of Muslim believers, um, believers in Islam um, who wanted to to build a mosque in in their city. And the, the citizenry of that city had, had basically blocked that. And they had blocked it through means of zoning permits and things like that to keep uh, this group from building a mosque. And so something interesting happened in, uh, in the wake of, of that event is there were several Southern Baptist entities, including the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and the International Mission Board, who signed a petition that the mosque should be allowed to be built. All right. And that was that their 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 reasoning for that was that um, that freedom of conscience is a biblical value, um, that that people should not be coerced by the government. They shouldn't be withheld by the government from believing um, and, and having uh, their own convictions. And so uh, there shouldn't be coercion politically or legally to maneuver to to advantage one um, viewpoint over another and so uh, even if even if the the citizenry thinks it's a false view okay 
And that was one side. So then obviously there was another group of Christians um, that said, no, that is totally wrong. Um, we should not support the building of this mosque because obviously we as Christians want uh uh, the, the the true faith, um, faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel to be not only believed by all people, but to be the only thing believed by people because it's the truth, right? We want people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And having a mosque built in a community is at the very least, you know, going to, to hinder that in some way, right? There will be people who are deceived by that and, and led into Islam, even if it's only the people who are already trying to start the mosque. And so we think there it should not be built. Um so there's a lot of controversy over that and, and, you know, discussions about conflict of interest and, you know, whose responsibility was it to push these things forward and all these different things that went on. But, but here's something that I thought during that whole controversy. Part of the problem was, is it was a question about the nature of the kingdom of God among the people of God and among a nation um, as well. Okay. All of the issues go back to something, you know, there were on surface issues that people were arguing, arguing, arguing about. But underneath it all, there was something else going on. And that was, what does the kingdom of God look like um, as it relates to the individual, as it relates to a community, as it relates to a nation? Like, what should we be thinking and how should we be seeing the kingdom of God play out? So if you study the Bible for any amount of time, you know that the kingdom of God in, in both testaments is, is a major idea, right? It's something that's talked about a lot. And it laid at the, the heart of the expectations of people during Jesus' time. Um, a whole lot of the Old Testament is prophetically looking forward to a day when Israel would not only be exalted, but her enemies would be vanquished, um, where God would establish a rule, like, a, like an on-earth kind of civil rule, um, where God was recognized by all nations. Okay. That's something you see in various forms playing out in, in the Old Testament. And, and the idea that, and the expectation that the Messiah's coming would be a big piece of that. Okay. That when the Messiah came, he would be a part of the establishment of, of that kingdom. And so when Jesus comes and people are wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Obviously they're, they're asking questions and this discussion about the nature of the kingdom of God, um, are, are popping up. And that's what's going on here. The Pharisees are asking, Hey, Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? When will the kingdom be established? Um, Jesus is, has maybe not, uh, made his messiahship clear to everybody at this point, but, but the, the Pharisees are saying, at the very least, if you're a prophet of God, you tell us when, when the kingdom is coming and, and what should we look for and how should we expect it. So Jesus does a couple of things in this passage, and this kind of, we're going to break it down. So in the first section, he kind of clarifies the nature of the kingdom. That is, he, he shows them an aspect of kingdom life that they have not yet grasped, that he's going to basically show them that the kingdom is something a little different than you think it is, okay? Then two, he's going to start and sort of shift, although to a related issue, he's going to start talking about this day of the Son of Man, the day when the Son of Man is revealed, which I am taking to be analogous to to what in other places would be called the day of the Lord, right? The day of, of judgment, um, um, the day when when God brings all things to uh, uh, under his judgment. Okay. Um, and then maybe the last section just says this to say, so what are we supposed to do? 
Like, what should we do about this? Um, how should we respond to these things and live in light of the kingdom where we're at? Okay, so that's kind of how we're going to break it down. So we start in that first section, just verses 20 and 21, talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. So to read it again, he says, once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. All right, so so the reality is, is everybody wants the kingdom of God to come, at least if you're a a believer in God or a follower of Jesus Christ. Everybody wants the kingdom of God to come. I was thinking as we were singing that, that song that we sang today, Abide With Me, right? That's what it's talking about. It's this idea of saying, man, I want Jesus to be here. And Jesus is going to affirm that in, in just a second. Um, but we want the kingdom of God to come. We want God to rule and reign and, and, and all of these things to be uh, finished. And they think, the Pharisees, and probably the disciples too, think it's going to look like a conventional establishment of a kingdom. We talk about this all the time, right? It's a a huge theme, a running kind of theme as we go throughout the Gospels. Um, There's going to be a conquering king, right? There's maybe going to be some kind of coup where the government is overthrown, where the Romans are put down, glorious battles and coronations. and, And it's going to feel like the way it looks when you read the stories about King David, right? And conquering the Philistines and, and, putting his enemies to flight and and establishing his kingdom and then being brought to Jerusalem and all these different things. Like that's the image that people have in their head. Except the thing is, Jesus says you're misunderstanding the kingdom and you're misunderstanding the essential nature of what the kingdom is like. He says the kingdom isn't something that you can point to and say, yeah, there it is over there, right? That's the kingdom of God right there. You can't look to it and say delineate it and, 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 and put boundaries on it in a way. They're thinking primarily in a physical idea of of a kingdom and a rule, but it isn't that, Jesus says. Instead, he says this kind of enigmatic kind of phrase. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Okay, so what does that mean? Because people have disagreed about what that means over the whole course of, of, you know, the last 2,000 years since since uh, the Bible has, has, was written. What does it mean when Jesus says the kingdom is in your midst? Well, there's typically kind of three ideas that, that we come, that we have from that. He may be using the term in your midst to mean within you. All right. So if that's the right idea, then God's kingdom, he's saying the kingdom of God is a, is a something in, internal. It's a spiritual reign in God, in your life, not a, physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom inside of you. It's a redemptive rule. Okay. God is working something out in your own um, heart and, and mind and soul. It's about God ruling in our lives, not ruling in castles and, and, and countries and things like that. This is the way that most of the ancient commentators saw this passage, right? When they read it, they said the early church, they said, yeah, what he's talking about there is that the reign of God, the reign, the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality in our own hearts. Okay. And so there may not be, and at the time there wasn't a unified Christian kingdom, right? If you, if you were with us for our church history class, you know that for the first two or 300 years of, of the church, it was a, it was primarily a persecuted faith in various places. It certainly wasn't an official faith. Right. People's people didn't have Christian kings and Christian rulers. They were living Christian lives where God was ruling in their own hearts and minds. Okay, 
And so it was, it was, uh, it was a, not a physical kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. That's what in, in our midst means. Other commentators, though, will say, no, that's not exactly what he's talking about. What he's just basically referring to is the fact that the kingdom is close at hand in terms of its accessibility. If you want the kingdom of God in your life, you don't have to ask about when it's going to get here or where it's at out there in the world. The answer is it's right here. All you have to do is reach out and, and, and take it, reach out and grab it. Remember what Paul says when he's on his missionary journey and he's in Athens and he's at the, um, the, the he's, he's giving this sermon to, to a bunch of, uh, people who are not believers and not Jews and, and they don't, they don't have any context for these things. And he said, talks about the fact he says, God did, did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So Paul is basically giving this idea where he's saying, man, God is not like this. He's not hiding from you, okay? He's not inaccessible. He's not somebody that you have to go to this faraway secret location to get to. Man, God is right before you, and the kingdom of God is right before you. And if you want it, it's not far off. All you have to do is reach out and and grab it. He is near to those who seek him. And so maybe that's what he's talking about when he says the kingdom is in our midst, in your midst. Then the third option would be this, is that Jesus is actually referring to himself. When he says the kingdom is in your midst, he means I am standing right here among you. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus himself is the access point to the kingdom, right? Um, what you do with Jesus, how you respond to Jesus, whether you accept him and receive him or reject him, will determine your experience in the kingdom of God. Certainly, that's the problem that the Pharisees have, right? The Pharisees are basically like, man, we don't like Jesus. We don't want him. Uh, we're, we've, we've rejected um, his ministry, ministry by and large. But for Jesus, um, Jesus says the, the, the person, right, of Jesus, the work of Jesus are inseparable from the kingdom of God. Something you notice when you go through the Bible is, or the Gospels, is every once in a while, it even refers to the gospel by that name. It says the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, and that's an interesting little phrase. It's not always the way the gospel is talked about, but sometimes it's talked about as the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? He's talking about the idea that the gospel, the coming of Jesus Christ, is the thing that sets up the kingdom of God. Jesus is the access point. So then you might say, well, cool, Ash, which one of these three does he mean? And the answer is, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Um, because I think all three of them are actually true. Which one he might have been zooming in on in particular is, is I'm not positive, but I think all three are the case. And so maybe we can sort of take something and, and, and bring them all together and make one statement and say, if you are a Christian, you long for the kingdom of God, but the kingdom is already here in the reigning of Jesus Christ in your lives. And so we can experience him right now as we come to Jesus and respond to Jesus by faith and repentance, okay? And so that's what Jesus is partly saying. He's saying the kingdom is different than what you maybe thought it was going to be. But now the focus shifts in the passage because while the kingdom is here and now, the Pharisees are also concerned about this other event. They're curious about this end times event that would be the revealing of the Son of Man, okay? And again, we're, we're connecting that to this idea of, of, of the day of the Lord that we've talked about in, in previous chapters, even, even recently. This day of judgment that's coming. 
And Jesus says this in verse 22. He says, they're asking, when is this day going to come, right? And Jesus says something that I think is telling us something very simple, but the verbiage and translation make it a little bit sound convoluted. He says this, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. All right, what is that saying? Well, I think it's very simply saying, Jesus is saying, uh, I'm going to go away. And you're going to look back and remember when I was here, and you're going to wish that I was still with you. And you're going to wonder when the day is going to be when I will return to be with you. Again, that song we sang, Abide With Me, right? No matter what the situation is, no matter what I'm going through, I wish Jesus was here. I wish he was abiding with me right now. And so Jesus says, you're going to want that. You're going to wish that I would come back and be with you, but you're not going to get it immediately. There's going to be a gap of time. I'm going to go away. There's going to be a gap of time when you yearn for my presence, but you're not going to see me for a while. Okay? Um, we live in that time now. Okay? We live in the time that Jesus is talking about. Because, again, I think what's going on is the people are thinking, no, Jesus is here now. The, the coming of the Son of Man is now. Um, he is going to reveal himself and initiate this kingdom that we all want now. And Jesus is saying, well, at least there is one thing that is going to have to happen before all these things can start. And the answer is, I'm going to have to be taken away. We're going to get to more of that in just a second. And then it'll be another time when I come back. Okay, The day of the Son of Man, when he is revealed, will be a later time. So he says in verse 23, he says, and during that time when I'm gone, you know what's going to happen? People will tell tell you, there he is over there, or here he is over here, but don't go running after them. So what's he talking about there? All you have to do is look through certainly recent history, but through the history of the church to recognize something. Jesus' physical separation from us, the fact that Jesus isn't physically here anymore, has been the opportunity for many people throughout the history of the church, cult leaders, to try to deceive the people of God by saying, hey, Jesus Christ has returned. He's over here in the form of this person. Um, just in, in, in recent memory, there was a guy down in Cuba and he had this massive church that was had tons of people and lots of money. And he was a man who claimed to be the second coming of Christ. That he was, he was just a guy, but he was, the, he was the second coming of Christ. He first said he was the second coming of Paul, but then he was like, man, I'm going to up the ante a little bit. And so then he was like, later on, he's like, no, 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 now I'm the second coming of Christ. Okay. Um, lots of cult leaders have done that throughout history. Um, moreover, lots of cult leaders have said, hey, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Then you got to come to this place. Okay, you got to come to Jonestown. You got to come to Waco because the only way you can be a part of the kingdom is if you're over here. And so what does Jesus tell us in this passage? He says, a Christian should never be led astray by these things. Someone who is following Jesus should never even have to wonder about these things. And he says, you want to know why? Because when the son of man comes, there is going to be no question. You're not going to have to ask, oh, is that legit? Do you think maybe that dude in Waco is actually Jesus? Do you think the guy that the kingdom of God is actually going like, maybe we should just pick up our lives and move to South America? Because what if that really is the kingdom of God and we're missing it? Jesus says, you're never going to have to worry about that. Okay. Because when I show up, 
When I return, when the day of the Son of Man happens and he is revealed, it is going to be unmistakable. Verse 24 says, the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Okay, so you can you you've seen videos of it, right? You've watched YouTube and you've seen these these massive storms, and you've seen the way that lightning illuminates the sky and it goes from one end to the other, and there is this resounding boom, so much so that sometimes you can even feel the concussive force of of the blast, right? There's no question when lightning strikes. Like nobody's looking around going, well, I wonder, you know, if, if that's, if, if that's really is lightning or not, right? When lightning is there, you know that it's there. And Jesus says, my coming is going to be the exact same way. There's not going to be a question in your mind whether or not I have actually come. And if there is a question in your mind whether it's actually me, it's not me, right? Uh, it's somebody else. Somebody is trying to, to lead you astray. Um, that guy is not legit. Don't go after him. Don't join his cult. Don't follow him to a foreign country. Um, don't give him all your money, okay? Um, because he's not for real. So it will be obvious to everybody. But then the original question is still there. Well, cool, Jesus, but when? When is this? We get that you're saying the kingdom in, in a certain way is present with us now, but when is this day of the revealing of the Son of Man going to take place? It's something that, again, you see all through Scripture. We want to know about um, when this, this final consummation of things is going to happen. Well, Jesus remind us, like we said a minute ago, verse 25, he says, first, before this can happen, he must suffer, that is the son of man, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Okay, so now here's the deal. That may seem like an obvious thing to say, right? That obviously the son of man, Jesus has to be rejected, crucified, um, uh, and betrayed before he can come a second time. Okay, for us as Christians who have had the Bible for that long, we we think that's obvious. But that would have been a revelation to the people in Jesus' time, right? Again, expecting that Jesus' first coming was going to be part of the consummation of of, of the kingdom of God, um, this would have been a revelation to them. But Jesus is saying the day of the coming of the Lord requires first that I be rejected and then cut off, and then as He's already told us, and then I'm going to go away for a while, and you're going to wish I was still here. But then I'm going to come back one day. And when I come back, you're going to know it's me. There's not going to be any question about those things. And so it's, it's a neat idea. And we've talked about it before. Jesus keeps repeating many of these things. That even though there are events that will precede his coming, at the same time, that coming is going to be sudden in some ways. It's going to be without warning in a lot of ways. And that's what he gets into in this next section. He says, I... You can compare the the revelation of the Son of Man, the day that he is revealed, to two events in the history of judgment. And that is the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. You can compare the coming of the Son of Man to those two days. How so? Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People are eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day of Lot, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the, the Son of Man is revealed. Okay? So he's giving us this picture and saying the day of the Son of Man will be a day of judgment. 
And we see two ideas that are reemphasized in both stories just by the verbiage. The one is the ordinary, everyday context into which these things will happen suddenly. Okay? Everybody will just be going about their day, and then all of a sudden, it will happen. Noah says people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. At, at Sodom's, at the, at the, at the destruction of Sodom, it says people are eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. People are living their lives. Okay. This isn't going to be like some kind of like post-apocalyptic movie that we've seen. It's not going to be Book of Eli where there's like bands of cannibals running around and you got to have a shotgun and a bow and arrow. Like it's not going to be how it is. People are just going to be living their lives. It's going to be like normal things. Planning for the future, expecting that the world is going to go on the way it's always gone on, expecting that the sun is going to rise tomorrow the same way the sun is going to rise, except guess what? It's not. On that day, everything will change. Everything will be different. On that day, there will not only, it will not only come suddenly, but the other thing that we see in those two stories that is repeated is this idea of total destruction. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Then fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. That's what's coming. Whether by flood or by fire or by sulfur or by raining down from heaven, whatever, judgment is coming. The day of the Lord, the coming and the revelation of the Son of Man, is going to be that judgment. And so here's another thing that we need to, to get through our heads, okay? Because we have a culture that teaches us this every day. If you have in your head the story that the way history is going is this progressive story where everything is getting better and better and it's only going to get better and better and better and better. And that's how history is just going to enter into this utopian golden age where we've got all our problems figured out. Um, the Star Trek version of the future, right? That's basically like, you know, I'm a big science fiction fan. That was the Gene Roddenberry picture that, man, eventually we are going to be so technologically advanced and so wise and so enlightened that, man, none of our problems are going to be problems anymore. We're not going to have hunger and we're not going to have racism and we're not going to have, um, you know, tribalism. We're not going to have war and we're not going to have anything. Everything's just going to be fine. We're going to have this utopia. Except guess what? The Bible says wrong. It's not how everything ends. Everything ends in destruction. Everything ends with the judgment of the world. Now, here's the deal. It may look like utopia five seconds before it happens. Like people may look around and go, boy, we got it pretty nice now. Okay. And then all of a sudden it's the end. But utopia is not the end of the story, or at least in terms of the, the current earthly story. Now you could say the final end. <laughs> is utopia. The new heaven and the new earth is utopia. But that is a, a utopia built by God, not by the efforts of people. And so, so that's where we're heading. And Jesus says, you should recognize these two things. There is a day of judgment coming and it is going to come suddenly. There will be signs pointing towards its coming. Certain things have to happen first. But at the same time, it will still be, it will still surprise many people. So then probably the obvious question is, well, cool, Ash, then what should we do now? What should be our response right now? And Jesus tells us in verse 31, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. 
remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in, bed, be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. So here's the first thing, just real quick. We're back at this theme again, guys. We are back at the theme of preparedness, of wakefulness, of watchfulness, of, of being ready at a moment's notice to meet our God and maker, okay? We have hit this theme half a dozen times throughout the book of Luke so far, to the extent that when I got to this passage, I kind of went, now we can't talk about this again. Like, we, I can't keep on saying the same thing, but as always, I go, but you know what? Jesus is saying the same thing. Jesus is reminding us again of the significance of these things. Jesus comes back to it over and over again. He's reminding us of the fact that our lives have a tendency towards complacency, a tendency towards normalcy. Man, we have our stuff and we have our place and we have our homes. And these things begin to be the things that define us, the things that are important to us, um, the things that we value most, the things that we want to protect. Um, that's the way it works. But that's a problem when it comes to the day of judgment. There's this guy, we were sitting at UPS the other day. There's this guy who brings in his little Bluetooth speaker and he sets it up and he's our DJ for the, the morning, right? So when we're all working, he's just playing. He's this cool old dude from, he grew up in South Alabama and he's like a 70s rock and roll kind of guy. And he's just always playing all these great songs, right? Well, one day it was on a Monday and he starts playing the song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, okay? Uh, you should probably hear that song, but it's Monday. And I said, uh, hey, Alan. It's too early in the week to play that song, right? That's a Thursday or Friday kind of song. You can't play it on Monday. And he said, buddy, I'm always working for the weekend, okay? Now, this is a funny thing to say. He's just being cute. I'm being cute, whatever. It's not a big deal. But it, but it made me think about something for a second because here's the reality is most of us live our entire lives that way, right? We start Monday and we're working to get to Saturday so we can rest for a couple of days so that we can get back at it Monday and work till Saturday so that we can have a few days of rest so that we can get back at it Monday and work till Saturday so we can have a couple of days of rest. It's the reason why I think, and obviously there's all kinds of things to this, but it's the reason why we look up sometimes and we go, where's the time gone? Like, how am I the age I am? How are my kids grown already? How have things changed so much when it seems like it was like, yesterday that they weren't that way. And what we find is a lot of times we are just sort of, we are just working for the next weekend and letting life pass us by in the meantime. That's kind of the pattern that we get into. But here's the deal. Jesus is basically saying, you can't be lulled into that sense of these things being valued because you're not going to get any warning on the day of judgment. You're not going to have a chance to go back and set everything up to protect all the things you own, to to get all the stuff that you want to take with you. Um, you're not going to have a chance to do that. You're not going to have a chance to get your life in order if you wait to the day of judgment to do it. It's going to be too late at that point. Okay. Um, you remember when you're in high school and you're taking a standardized test and the cool teachers would always do this. You've got a time limit on the test and what would they do? They give you like a one minute or two minute warning. And if you're taking something like the ACT, it was so that you could go down and fill in C 
you know, on all the, the, the Scantron all the way. That way, at least you had a shot, right? If you leave it blank, you're going to, you're going to get a zero for sure. But if you at least put C on everything, maybe you'll get a third of them or a quarter of them, them right or whatever. And so the cool teachers would always say, Hey, one minute warning. If you got a still, if you got a lot of stuff that you haven't filled in, go ahead and, and, and bubble all those in. Okay. God's not going to give you a one minute warning. Okay. He's not going to say, I'm going to be back in two weeks. Go get your house in order. Okay. Get to church. Um, start reading that Bible. Uh, start praying. Trust in Jesus Christ. He's not going to say any of those things. It's going to happen and, and the day is going to be upon us. There's going to be no time to go back. And really, he's kind of pointing to this idea that that's not the right way of looking at it anyway. If you're hoping for a deathbed conversion, if you're hoping for a day of judgment turning to Christ, you're missing the point already. Verse 33 says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. If you're saying, man, I'm going to try to live for myself as long as I can and then hope that right before the end I can get everything right, God says that's the wrong attitude. You're not supposed to live your life that way. You're supposed to live your life ready at any second. And so, again, to the illustration he says, he says, if you're standing on your roof one day and hypothetically, as the illustration goes, the voice of the Lord says the day of judgment is here. You don't say, well, hold on, Jesus. Let me go back in the house real quick and and get anything. You say, I'm ready to go. Okay. He uses the illustration of Lot's wife. They're fleeing the destruction of the city. They've already been tardy in this. If you go back and read the story, they've already, you know, been negligent and waited. And finally the angels say, guys, you've got to get out of here. And they are leaving and fire and brimstone are raining down on the city. And then what happens? What does Lot's wife do? She looks back. Why? Because everything I have is back there. Everything I want is back there. The life that I built and all this stuff and everything, that's what this was all about. And it's all back there and it's being destroyed. And the picture is to say, no, that's not your life. Your life is with Christ now. Your life is following him at any cost. Your life is keeping your eyes on him and not looking back. And if he says, leave it all behind and follow me, then that's what you're supposed to do. And you've got to be ready to do that now. Not in five-year plan, not 10-year plan, not when I get the kids grown, not when I retire. You've got to be ready right now to say, I'll leave everything behind for Jesus. I've already left everything behind for Jesus. I think this is the tie-in between the two concepts. Okay, The concept of the, the coming of the Lord, right? The day of the revelation um, of the Lord, uh, right? And at the same time, this idea of the kingdom of God that is in our midst, okay? So the idea would be, how do I prepare for the coming of the Lord? The answer is, I live in the kingdom of God right now, okay? I recognize that God is working and reigning in my midst, and I live according to that right now. I live each day of my life. As if Jesus Christ is the king of my life. And that prepares me for the day of the Lord. That prepares me for the revelation of the son of man. Um, I will be ready to follow him on that day because I've already got my life in order because I've already recognized his rule and reign in my life. I've given my whole heart to him. I put all of my trust in him. I've, I've, I've laid all of my uh, possessions and capital at his disposal. And I'm not going to turn back and I'm not going to worry about those things that I've left behind because of all the goodness that Christ has called me to in the future and forward. 
the passage ends with this interesting again kind of thing. They, they, they say this again, whereas they've been asking when this is going to happen. They ask a different question now. Well, where, Lord, in verse 37, where are these things going to take place? Where is this kind of judgment going to come down? Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole world wasn't destroyed at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Only Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Jesus, are you saying that there's only going to be certain people who are judged this way? And look, notice what he says. He says, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. So what is that illustration saying? He's saying, wherever this is appropriate, it will be applied. You could say that. Um, wherever there is sin that judgment must be brought on, then judgment will find that place. Okay? And so what is that to say? Jesus is saying the judgment that is coming is not for a select few. It's not for the Romans. It's not just for the Jews. It's not for an individual nation. It's not for America. It's not just for Russia. It's not just for North Korea. It's for all people. Wherever there is sin, wherever people have not followed Jesus Christ and turned away from him and lived for themselves and lived for the things of this world, then there the vultures will gather. Their judgment will be found. So we kind of come to a, a close on that, right? And I, and, and again, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you've read ahead in the book of Luke, it's not the last time we're going to talk about the day of the Lord. It's not the last time we're going to talk about, um, the coming judgment. Okay. Because it is a key theme in, in the ministry of Christ and, uh, and in the, in the message of the New Testament is that we need to prepare our hearts for the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And we want to be people who are aligned with Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ at his return. So what I want to do is we'll just, we'll close in a time of prayer. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know. Um, I hope the case is if you've been here for regularly for the last year or so, you'll say, yeah, Ash, um, I've heard this before. I know it's true, but I get the feeling like probably the reason why Jesus continues to repeat it is because we are slow to heed it, right? The more Jesus says something, it's probably because he knows it's not the kind of thing that we easily just receive and, and, and take to heart, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to not only confirm these things in our hearts, but help us to live rightly by them. To not walk out of here and just sort of say, cool, I got some knowledge in my head that I need to be awake and ready for the coming of Jesus, but to go out of here and say, I am going to be ready for the coming of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we, as we come to your word and we read of, of the gospel, of the good news, um, that the good news is the good news of salvation, that you have um, come into the world to, to save sinners. Um, God, by your 
um, the coming of your son um, by his life, death, and resurrection, that sinners are to be saved from from the judgment, um, from the condemnation that they deserve. Now, that is the good news, but it is not just the good news of salvation from something, but it is the good news of salvation to something, and that is to the kingdom, to the kingdom rule of Jesus Christ in our lives of his, him sanctifying us, of him coming in and um, God taking away um, the sin and, and selfishness and uh, worldliness and, and false um, ideas and, and self-justifications and self-righteousness, God, that you would come in and save us uh, not only from our sins, um, but to something else, to holiness and to righteousness, to preparedness, um, to uh, love for for our neighbor and love for Jesus Christ, um, to put away um, the fleeting things uh, of the world around us um, and to to focus our hearts and attentions on what Jesus Christ has called us to. Father, this is the good news. Um, the good news of salvation from and the good news of salvation for and to. And so we thank you for the fact that because of your son, um, we can know the good news. We can receive um, that salvation uh, through faith, through repentance, and that, God, you can come into our lives and begin um, the work of, of God sanctifying us, of, of taking every aspect of our lives and dedicating it um, to, to the service of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we know that there are any number of places that we are still holding on to. There are easy patterns. God, there are places that we don't even mean to, and yet we fall into um, the ruts that the world has already made for us as we as we um, walk along the path. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to acknowledge those those ruts, um, that we would step out of them, um, that that those things that the world cares about, that we would be willing to leave those things behind at a moment's notice. Um, and that as we wait and as we expectantly look to the coming of your son, um, that our hearts would be prepared um, for his advent. Father, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. Um, work these things in our hearts and minds. Uh, God, work them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Of our efforts stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house in vain. Its builders strive to you boast tomorrow's gain. Tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All Take 
the cup of kindness, yet all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast life and we shall ere his people be all glory be to Christ all glory be to Christ our King all glory be to Christ his rule and reign will ever sing all glory be to Christ all Amen. Good to see you. Um, hope you have a great evening. Go out and enjoy um, the little bit of daylight we got left and the beautiful day we've got. Um, let me make you a couple uh, aware of a couple of things real quick. Um, one, so tonight, um, for those of you that have got little kids that are over at the Flex Space a lot, um, Annie Rader, who is one of our children's workers and who's um, uh, served over there for for. A, probably, yeah, a couple of years now, um, this is her last Sunday. And so she's graduating and, and has got stuff going on this summer. And then obviously we'll be off to, to school in the fall. And so this is her last night tonight. So uh, if you're going over there to pick up your kid or just if you want to stop by, just to so, sort of say um, thank you and encourage her as, as, as she's taking this next step and heading out into the world. Um, the other thing is uh, probably most of you are aware that uh, Tim and Janessa had their baby two nights ago or something. I can't remember now. It's been a couple nights ago. But anyway, um, uh, they, uh, little baby Leopold um, is here. And so I, I think they're going to call him Leo, right, probably. Um, and so, but um, there is a meal train, correct, already set up on on the Facebook page. And so if you would um, like to, to encourage them and help them out in that way, you can sign up to bring a meal to them at some point over the next couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, if nothing else that you can just kind of send them a message and, and say, uh, congratulations that you're praying for them. And, and I'm sure we'll get to see a uh, little baby Leo here pretty soon. So, um, hmm? yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. There's, there's more coming. Um, so, uh, so, uh, don't get used to the, to a lull in the meal train. Let me put it that way. Uh, there's just gonna be more meal trains coming. So, um, but, um, again, hope you have a great evening. Um, hope to see you next week. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.